Welcome to the Scalable Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we discuss the most scalable strategies, tools, and approaches to successfully invest in real estate. Learn how to make the most impact of your time, automate your real estate investing business, find off-market deals with minimum time invested, and leverage your capital to create as many income streams as possible so that you can achieve true financial independence. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Mason Clement. Hi everyone, Mason Clement here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to ask you one question. Are you sick of the wild swings in the stock market and ready to try something different? Did you know that investing in stocks actually put you at the very bottom of a company's capital structure? Meaning that there's practically 0% chance that you're gonna get any of your money back in the event that the company files bankruptcy. That basically you're putting yourself in the riskiest position for a questionable return. Personally, I hate the unpredictability and just waking up and having half of my investment gone when I didn't do anything wrong. So what a lot of people don't know is that you can actually make higher returns on a consistent basis by investing in the opposite end of the capital structure, which is actually the safest place to be, which is on the debt side in a first lien position. And you can do that by investing in real estate and specifically investing with my company in notes that are backed by the land that we purchase. So if you're ready to diversify your income stream, go ahead and go over to scalablereicom and click on invest in the top right corner. There you're gonna find a form that you can fill out to determine if you're eligible to invest with my company, Celion Capital, and we'll be reaching out to you to schedule an introductory call and speak more from there. So thanks a lot, and let's jump into the episode. Hi everyone, I'm Mason Clement, host of the Scalable Real Estate Investing Podcast. And today we have Darren Wright with us, who is based out of Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. So he's going to have a lot of interesting things to share about his journey investing in multifamily properties there and also expanding his portfolio to the US. So glad to have him on here. Darren, what's going on? Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me on your show. Sure, no problem. I'm glad you were able to make some time here. So. We had met in person finally at the Birth360 event over in the Kentucky, Cincinnati area. So that was great. We forgot to mention in the intro that we're both members of Mike Ely's mastermind group, which focuses on multifamily and hotels. So yeah, that's, that's obviously how we met and thought this would be a good idea to do. How many doors are you up to now for your portfolio? Right now we're up to 50 doors over four buildings. Okay. So we started with a 12 unit and then we got a 10 unit and then another 12 unit and then just recently a 16 unit. And December 1st, we'll get possession of a 48 unit, which is over four buildings again, four 12 unit buildings all in one complex. Very nice. So it kind of doubles the size of your portfolio, right? Yeah, we've, we've doubled this year and we'll double again before the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Why did y'all decide to focus on that? number of units it seems kind of consistently in the teens per building at least it's the lending is better for the commercial so we're in for five units or more and it's just the more doors that are under one roof the easier the numbers are to make sense so it just seems to be that they just seem to be the key ones that we can make work the best we've looked at dozens of you know, four units, five units, six units, and trying to get, trying to justify the numbers for the purchase price doesn't always work, where we find that there's less competition for the 12 units or more. So 
it just just how it's worked out. I mean, I'm a strong believer in you get what you ask for, and that's what we've been asking for. So, <laughs> okay, yeah, I know that sometimes, at least in the U.S., people like to focus on say uh, only a hundred units and up, and so sometimes you can kind of carve out a niche between where it's too large for the smaller investors, but it's too small for the larger investors. So maybe that's also some of what's going on. Would you agree? What do you think? We don't have the population here. We, we in Brandon, Manitoba is only uh, 50, just over 50,000 people. So there is no complexes, which are a hundred units or more. We'd, we'd love to do that. This, this one that we're getting, which is 48 units is, is kind of a one-off. So there's not many of those around. So we've had to focus on picking up the 12 and 10 units where we can. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, actually, why don't we back up a little bit? So, um, usually what I like to do for the first topic is to discuss, discuss the guest's background and journey. So why don't you just tell us about that and, and how you ended up starting to purchase these properties in Brandon, Canada? Okay. About six years ago, after always been interested in flipping houses. I mean, every home I've ever owned, I've always renovated it, moved in and fixed it up and, and always done it while I'm living there. So I've always been interested in flipping houses. And then went on a weekend to learn about it, you know, with a coach and bought a, a small coaching program that you could do it, do it yourself. Kind of cheaped out a little bit where if I, if I'd have hired a coach, I would have gone a lot quicker, a lot faster. So read and digested the, the book and got as much help as we could and then started to flip some houses. Then I realized once I started flipping houses that I did need some coaching. So then we went out and, and found a coach, you know, to help us with the buying the single family homes and, and flipping those. It, it wasn't long into flipping them that I realized you can make some good money on flipping houses, but you're constantly working to create that money. So then, as you obviously, as you go along, you learn more. So learning more about the buy and hold, I realized that was the way that I wanted to move forward. And so the next thing we found a threeplex to fix up and rent that out. So we did that and that was successful. It was again combining the two, fixing it up. And we did a little bit of a refinance and then kept renting it out. That was before I knew anything about the birth strategy. <laughs> I just wish I'd have known about that many years ago. I had been so much further ahead. And then, so there was with three doors looking for more. It actually, I made the three door into a four door because we actually rented out the garage. I fixed up the garage and, and had a small mechanic who did some repairs on, the, on his car and rented the garage out. So by adding an extra income to it it really made the numbers it, it was it was a real cash flow machine was just one building and i always wanted to do the larger multifamilies, but i always figured well i don't have the money and how can i do that because i'm obviously working with my own money and, and, and trying to work through one door at a time and then i was completely wiped out just as covid hit because my because i, I was getting divorced so I had a, a electrical contracting business and that had to be liquidated and, and divided up. And I had to sell all my real estate, which was this threeplex. So I was completely wiped out to zero. That was just about three years ago. 
So we were already starting a new company that we were starting from scratch. So we'd learned about strategy by that time and we had coaching. So it was, well, why do we want to do one at a time? Let's look at more multifamily. Let's look at these six and, and 12 units. We'd never dreamed that we could do a 48 unit. It just seemed, you know, too big. So we found a great deal, which was a 12 unit building that needed some renovating. It was in the downtown area, which is not a desirable area uh, to live. There was no parking. So it's only people who want to use the bus uh, to go to work. And we had to find a partner, money partner because after a divorce, I didn't have any money. So we were the working partners, and then we found a great partner to, to work with who had, I think, 200 doors at that time himself. So really knew how to raise money and, and how to do the burr, and, and we joined a great partnership. So we were able to successfully renovate that property and stabilize the building and, and, and turn it around and refinance, and then we're on to the next one. <laughs> So then we found the 10 unit building next. So, and and obviously with COVID, we had a lot of restrictions here. It was quite hard to get people to do work and, you know, because of the restrictions. So things kind of slowed down for us, but we're getting known for what we're doing. Then this year has been a real growth year. Now everything's back to normal and, and we're good to go. So. Yeah, we've built a lot of contacts. You know, we've got his teams together with contractors and, you know, lenders and um, brokers and realtors. So it's it's really, really all coming good now. It's just takes time to, to get there. Yeah, definitely. And, and one thing I've always noticed about real estate is you really just have to jump in with both feet. You can't really just kind of be in the middle and dip your toe. It's something you just got to do. So that's yeah, that's kind that's of, right. to your point, just kind of work work your way through it find those contractors when you need them because you don't even know what you don't know or you don't even know which contractors you need probably. So just kind of fumbling through is the way to the path to success, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was putting the knowledge from being an electrical contractor myself and, and having a business and then doing the flips in a smaller scale that we're able to, well, instead of doing it once, you just do it 12 times. So we're able to put all that knowledge. It was, it was like a, a journey onto the path to get to a point where we're then able to to do to do the scale and have the confidence to do it as well oh yeah definitely yeah yeah one thing too yeah like you said is confidence just kind of trusting yourself and knowing that you're capable of doing those larger deals and things like that so um people might notice your accent i forgot to go way back where did you where were you like born and where'd you grow up and when did you uh, yeah I, I was born and raised in england and uh, the northwest of England, near Manchester, people seem to know. And <clears throat> I, I started to work as an electrician when I was 16, because that's the age you start working now. And when I was 20 and actually was a qualified electrician, I actually did work on the side for a builder, and he used to flip houses. So that's that's probably if you want to go right back to where I learned about flipping houses was then but I, I I was getting married and I had a young family on the way so I couldn't afford to do the the flipping houses if I only knew then that you could get money partners then, then I could have done it back then but you always think you have to use your own money and have to use your own time it's only when 
you learn and get education that you know it's you don't have to do it all yourself. There's always somebody else who can do that for you or do it better. So I'll partner with them. You don't have to do it all. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and I forgot to ask your money partner basically contributed all of the equity for the loan and they like signed a personal guarantee for the loan and everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we became 50 50 partners on the building. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And still, and still are. So all the money is returned and we're both, we're both 50 50. Yeah. Okay. As a, a side note, I was visiting Montreal with my wife maybe a few years ago. And we went to a museum and I didn't even really realize that Canada is technically part of like the British empire, like Australia and some other places. Is that still accurate? Yeah, it is. It is part of the British monarchy. And, yeah, uh, the monarchy. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a, a funny story on that is uh, we moved to Canada in 2008, I think it was, might be seven. I think it was seven. Yeah, it was seven. And, um, so I came here as a temporary resident to work as an electrician. And then after a year, we were able to get a permanent residency. And so we could stay here, but we wanted to get the citizenship. Uh, so we're then able to contribute more. You know, you can vote and want it more for the children as well to give them more options. So we, we got the Canadian citizenship. And at the ceremony, I had to swear my allegiance to the Queen. And I found it very amusing the fact that it was the same queen and that I was born under the queen. So, so I thought it was uh, quite amusing, <laughs> you know, how it's the same monarchy, but it's still a different country completely. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Is that really common for folks to move over to Canada? Is it like just constant immigration back and forth? Or how's that work? Uh, well, now I'm a dual citizen. So I'm, I'm a citizen of the UK and citizen of Canada, but I only hold a Canadian passport. So if I go to visit England, then I'm, I'm just a traveler. Just a Canadian guy? Yeah, over there? just a Canadian traveler, yeah. Okay. But I mean, like, if I was to, to hang out over in England, would I hear people talking about preparing to move to Canada? Or how many people do that? I'm not so sure on the numbers, but no, not everybody talks about moving. Yeah. A, a lot okay. of, uh, yeah, people I know from school have moved to Australia. So not uh, I've known some moved to Canada and some to Australia, and a lot are still still in England. Yeah, I guess it just depends on the person and the circle yeah. you're in. <laughs> yeah, it's that's kind of right. an open question, but it's like one of the few places I haven't been in that part of the world. I was going to say Europe, but technically it's not part of Europe, anyways. <laughs> no, not in, yeah. not anymore. <laughs> after after Brexit, Brexit, yeah, yeah, but very yeah. cool. All right, but it's, it's definitely one of the places on my list. I want to go the whole area over there. So that's cool. We can move on. So we talked a little bit about that deal where your money partner had provided the equity for the loan and everything. So in general, how does the financing compare to financing for, for like real estate deals in the US well, versus Canada? Yeah. In Canada, we have, it's the Canadian housing mortgage uh, company, I think it is. And that's a, a government a department which will insure um, a loan. So you can get a better loan to value ratio on, on a property. And it, it all depends on the criteria. And you can also get a larger amortization. So on the buildings we do, because we have what they consider reasonable rents, you know, for because of the housing market, then we're able to get a better 
loan ratio and a larger amortization. So on a couple of our buildings, um, because we got affordable rents, we're able to get a 95% loan to value and we're able to get that over 50 years. So that really brings down your mortgage payments. And right now we've just done one building, we're doing another one where the, uh, because they have underwriters to, to look at these. And right now they fixed the rate to say it can't be more than X. I think the last one was 5.38%. And then once you get this certificate of insurance, you can then go out to the lenders or the mortgage broker goes out to the lenders and says, okay, we have this building, we have these people who want to buy it, and then we have this insurance. Who wants to do this deal? And then they'll all kind of put a bid in for we'll, the lenders to say, yeah, we want to do it and we'll do it at this rate. So if the rate is more than what the certificate allows for, then we have to buy that down That's just straight away. Or if not, it's not. So this insurance it kind of protects the deal as well because you, you fix them on a term for five or 10 years, depending which one you want to do. But because it's fixed, you know that you're going to be able to keep affording the, the mortgage to pay for the building. You know, they, they underwrite it as well as we do. So it's a very good uh, security. And because it's an insurance for, I believe the normal would be 75% loan to value. So because this insurance certificate then insures it for the remainder, the lenders are very happy as well. Because if there is any default, then the Canadian mortgage company would, would step in and cover that difference. And then obviously, going down litigation, we'd have to cover the rest. But it's it's a good security because they know it's, it's been underwritten by somebody else as well, a third party, as well as obviously the people that are buying it. So it's it's that is a really good system. But the downside of it, it takes a long time. At the moment, it's around six months for a turnaround for that. So if you get all your numbers together and decide you want it, then you do the application. It's about six months before you get a decision. Yeah. Is that for every loan or is it just like a specific category of loan? There's, there's, there's a category. I mean, if your rent is above market or affordable, what they call affordable rent, and it varies from market to market, depends on the size of the city. If you're above that, then obviously you can't get that loan to value. You may only be able to get up to 85%, but you may be able to get an amortization of 40 years instead of the 50. So okay. it does vary. Yeah. And what's the, the fastest that a bank could close on a loan, you think? If you want to do the 75%, then you could do it in, well, a month, I would say, comfortably. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe two weeks. The they don't like it if you have very tight deadlines. So that's why we like the Burr model because then we can we can pay we can pay cash because many investors that have money in a pool that we can pay cash for a building, and we can close a lot quicker that way. But we have to do our own due diligence, so then we have our own timelines as well. You know, we don't just buy any building and take people's word for it. You know, we have to check check all the numbers ourselves. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lengthy process, definitely. The, the more the units, the longer it seems to take. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of the the 
interest rate structure, I know you mentioned the 5.3% fixed, but do they do kind of like the, the bridge financing that's really common on multifamily properties in the U.S. where it's like like a prime rate plus a, a margin or something like that? Yeah, yeah. the banks always go prime rate plus whatever points they want, yeah. Okay, so what's the yeah. prime rate in Canada today? Like how much would I expect to pay for prime plus whatever margin they have? Yeah, I'd have to look that up. I think it was around five, or it might be uh, four and three quarters. Yeah, yeah, it's around five. I know it's been going up. Yeah, in fact, they just held it this week, so I should, I should know, but I just don't have that time. Yeah, yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think rates are kind of a lot of times we're so like interconnected, especially in North America and all the economies and everything. So. Kind of globally, people are the countries are increasing rates and everything. Just kind of curious how it compares because I know the like looking at all these different hotel deals and trying to underwrite them. That like I've been doing with Mike's group, it's like trying to underwrite to get like a ten percent cap rate and expecting to have that interest rate be like you know eight and a half to ten percent as well. And so it's like a lot of playing with the different numbers here. Hopefully, you're getting yeah. a higher cap rate. But that's why I ask is like the cap rate. I mean, the prime rate here is like, I think it's like eight or eight and a half percent. And they might add 50 basis points or they might add 150, one and a half percent on top of that. And so you get to that 10 percent. And so it makes it just even more difficult to make the numbers all pencil. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny. Two years ago, we were, when we we're underwriting, we were using 6% as a stress test. And then, and then last year we moved it to a seven, and I believe we've been using eight just recently to, to stress test, you know, because the mortgage rates were climbing and then they stopped and then they climbed a little bit more and now they're frozen again. But, you know, there there is certain people worried that they're going to keep climbing because they're trying to curve interest rates. So we're just trying to protect ourselves as well as as partners that, you know, we're not going to get caught out. But everyone knows real estate is a cycle. You know, you got your seasonal cycles, and then you've got your just general cycles. It'll it'll go up and it'll go down. Interest rates go up and they come back down. Yeah. So it's it's people who bought during COVID for the first time with low interest rates. They're the ones who are having trouble, or they're going to have trouble on their renewals. But seasonal investors who already had a property, it was great to refinance. That was a time to refinance and have some good years. And knowing that you you could afford the higher rates when you first got the building, but you can do it again. So, yeah, it's just it's a long game. It's real estate. You just gotta get in and, and keep in as long as possible, and give all your safeguards. You know, more ready. Yeah, yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense. Okay, in terms of like finding deals, like how did you find the twelve unit and the ten units, like? How does that acquisition process work over there? Uh, MLS, just like oh. like like you have in the, like in the states, you have uh, you have MLS as well, don't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you see it more on on the other websites. Yeah, we just have MLS. So you got realtor dot uh, ca. That's how we found the first twelve unit. We found a ten unit on there, and then the second. Yeah, the third building, the 12 unit, that was on MLS as well. And then the 16 unit was an off-market deal. They they came to us. We had an advertisement running on, on a forum, 
if anyone had any multifamily to buy. And it was out of Brandon. It was in a neighboring town, but we went and it was such a good building that that we, we made it work. And that was a difficult one as well. That was a challenge. We had so many different ways we we're trying to buy that and just so we could buy it, but uh, it worked out in the end. And then this 48 unit deal was an exclusive listing with a realtor and it's a realtor we'd used before. So, you know, he had us, well, we used him to buy one of the 12 units. So I said, have you got any more? And he kept saying about this 48 unit. And I said, yeah, keep, keep telling us, you know, give us more information on it. And we kept pushing and that was a difficult buy as well. But it wasn't a straightforward deal. None of them seemed to be straightforward. So <laughs> you just, you got to keep working at them. Yeah. And Every, I mean, I was a realtor myself, hoping that would help find deals, but it, it's not. It, it works against you because we're such stringent rules for realtors being able to buy property as well for at the scale we were buying them at. So I've, I've surrendered my license for that. And you're only allowed to buy one half market deal a year. Well, I'd already bought one, so I wasn't able to buy another. And then... Obviously, as soon as you buy one, along comes another one. We were looking at a 22-unit uh, portfolio, which was over five buildings, I believe. So we were very serious about being offering for that, but their numbers didn't work. It just needed too much work, and we couldn't justify the rent in that time. So so we had to walk away from that, but to keep opportunities going. When I go to the gym or any realtors that I see, because I, I know a lot of people in town, I'm always asking, have you got any multifamily for me? So, yeah. So they'll, they'll send me stuff, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, it's interesting you can make the, the numbers work for listed deals, because I think typically the idea is that 95% or some high number like that is is not going to work, at least for a single family. I, I haven't tried to look at, see if I can make numbers work on other types of properties but yeah that's that makes a lot of sense so it's cool there there is a lot of properties that we look at and, and don't and don't take yeah you've got to got to keep working through them and i never fall in love with a property i only fall in love with the numbers first and then i'll see if i like a property i just didn't know I'm, I'm i'm very pragmatic if if i don't like it i'm i'm, I'm done okay next move on or or i'll offer a price yeah, we had one, it was a nine-unit uh, property, and uh, the seller was elderly, and he was he was trying to hang on, but he, was, he should have been retiring. And he wanted too much money for his property, and we offered on the property, this is what we'll pay for it. We've got to fix it up. It would have been a burr. And then they had a fire, which burnt the garage down and still kept the property. Said, oh, well, we've got no storage, and... I'll still offer the same. And then they had a second fire, which destroyed one of the units. I said, well, that's fine. We're going to run new electrical anyway to do separate meters. Don't fix it up. Just reduce the price and we'll go. Wouldn't do it again. And then they had a third fire, a small one on the top floor. And they put the fire out and it was in the middle of winter and they didn't the, they didn't board the windows up correctly and then the pipes froze and burst and then they all had water damage and then they came back and said would you buy it now 
And I, I, I could have gone for nearly land value, but we walked around it and I said, no, this building's done. It's it's going to take far too much money. And by that time, there was a lot of orders against it. And they just thought, you should have sold it when when we first got there. You could have took a little bit less money, sold it, and then it wouldn't have been, been their problem. But they had some, obviously, bad tenants in there that were causing a lot of issues. So, yeah, so that was, that, that was one that lasted for maybe maybe a year. It could have been 10 months or a year that were back and forth, back and forth, and couldn't come to it and then at the end we just we just walked away we we they couldn't give it to me i just didn't want, didn't want it yeah by the end and now the sons have stepped in and they're fixing it up and they've asked me again do i want to buy it once it's fixed up i'll take a look but not really there's no value if it's already fixed up <laughs> hmm. yeah yeah we do it to uh to increase the value yeah you really got to be a value-added opportunity yeah yeah not all of them, but sometimes you can find a good one that you know you can increase the rents on, and that's your value add. You know, we ain't doing any work to it. The rents are the rents are low. Yeah. Okay, that's because the the owner just hasn't really kept up with the current market rents, and they're afraid to increase rents to lose tenants, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we're under rent control here, so we have a residential tenancy board, and it's pro tenant. So that is a real struggle for, for landlords in the local area. But there is a scheme of an above guideline rent increase. Whereas if you spend money on doing upgrades, then you can do an application. And there is formulas to work out what you can, you know, the more money you spend on it, the more you can increase the rent. So there is ways that way that we know that we can we can increase the rent where it's not an easy process and not everybody wants to do that. So they stick with the increases and the increases in 21 was 0%, 22 was 0%. And this year it's going to be, you know, for 2024, it's going to be 4%, 3%. And typically in the past, they're only between one and one and a half, maybe 2% increase each year. So you do find that the rents get behind the inflation. If inflation's a 3% and you only get a 1% raise, then it's not enough to keep up. So then you have to, you're forced then to do something to change, change the rent and re-register it. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. That was one of my questions I was wondering. Is it, is it like how it is across the, the country or just in that specific province or town? How's that work? Most, like most, yeah, it's a province initiative or government body. And it is across Canada. Each province has their own. I believe Alberta is not under rent control. That's just knowing from other investors. So it, you, you have to learn the rules for each each area for sure. But yeah, it's, it's a general rule across that. It's, it's hard work. So that goes to your question you were going to ask about why, why I expanded to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we get into that a little bit? Yeah. It's like, what's, what are some of the reasons, the biggest reasons? Well, the biggest reason is because of rent control, because of that restriction. I believe there's more opportunity in the U.S. There is a lot more population that we, the areas we're looking at is bigger population. So there is more, you know, because we wanted in, in the U.S. to do 50 units or more. That's the kind of those looking about. There is no 
you know, top limit, no maximum. So we think we can scale uh, quicker. You, you have better tax laws down there, even though we'll still have to pay some tax up here as well, um, which is obviously going to be something we'll have to, have to look into. And uh, another one is lifestyle. My son has moved down to Detroit and got married, and they have uh, a young girl. So I'm looking for, for multifamily in Detroit. So we can obviously take on a project and manage the project and visit the project or projects and also visit family. So it's keeping your business and family close. I still have family. My daughter's still here in, in Brandon, so we obviously want contact in Brandon. And then we're also looking in Florida because we want to spend the winters down in Florida. It gets extremely cold up here. It's we we had snow uh, two days ago, and for the last two days it snowed. So it looks like we've got an early winter, and we had a late spring. So obviously we have long winters, and it gets extremely cold. We uh, have many days under minus thirty degrees centigrade, which is about minus thirty Fahrenheit as well. I think it gets to so it we're kind of on par. I think minus thirty four is the same in Celsius and, and Fahrenheit. So. It, it does get cold, so we. It's a lifestyle. We we want to. We could run projects up here in summer and follow the geese and go down to Florida for the summer uh, for the winter. I was saying, yeah, Be a, a true snowbird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was. I was actually wondering. I feel like years ago I knew the total population in Canada was like twenty million, but I just googled it because I was curious. It looks like. In 2021, it was 38.25 million versus like hundreds of millions of people in the US. So, yeah, that right it was, there yeah, it was 30 million in 2007 when it came. And I've just been told it's hit 40 million. So, it's a 10 million increase in, in 15 years. So, that was another 25%. So, that's good. There's a lot of immigration. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 It definitely it's, helps us with the rentals because we have a lot of students that come. So obviously they need they need housing. So yeah, we've uh, had quite a few from Nigeria just recently. Uh, one of one of the husband or wife has come for to be a student, and then the partner comes like a month later once they've got settled. So that, that's great to see. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah, I know a lot of Asian folks as well like to immigrate to Canada. Yeah, like I know there's a even like a big Chinatown when we were over there in Montreal, but. I think it's uh, just generally easier because I just have a lot of experience with China. Like my wife's from Hong Kong and I lived in mainland China for two years. And I just know that just given the massive amount of people, especially from mainland applying for visas to the U.S. versus Canada, it's just like a, whole, a totally different game. So a lot of times it's easier to kind of settle down in Canada first and figure out a way to the U.S. or maybe not even worry about it eventually because they just like the lifestyle enough in Canada. And I don't know. Everyone's different, but. Yeah, it depends what lifestyle you want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, actually, um, back to the finance, and I forgot to ask, do they do interest rate caps over there? Where they basically for a fixed period of time you can pay to 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 cap the interest rate? Well, yeah, the certificate does that. The the CMHC certificate that'll that'll cap the rate, and that's why if the interest rate offer comes in, which is higher, which it was on the sixteen unit, then we had to buy the interest rate down, 
and that was for five years. So it's fixed for five years at the rate on the certificate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very cool. And and generally, like when you're underwriting these units, like what's a good price per unit that you need to buy at to make the numbers work in general? Uh, it all depends on the rent or, you know, what what is the rent of, of that area? Because, you know, it depends on the style of building. We're able to get a lot more rent out of one of our buildings than, than the other one, because one is downtown in North Harkin. Uh, and the typical two bedroom there is, I think it's eight hundred dollars. Could be eight hundred dollars, but then at the other building, which is two bedroom, it's it's a thousand and fifty, I think it is. So, you know, it's uh, it's a lot more. So we could pay a lot more per door, and we did. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. knows what you can get. Yeah. So what's what would you say is kind of the range? Is it like fifty thousand to a hundred thousand? Per door. Yeah, that's, that's that's our range. Yeah. Obviously we, we prefer to pay fifty than than a hundred. But a new build, they're going for about two hundred and eighty thousand a door for a brand new build in the in the same time. Uh but they're charging yeah, Brandon, yeah. Yeah, for a brand new build. So they're charging, I believe, between fourteen and sixteen hundred. And when I spoke about the rent control, if your building's newer than twenty years, there is no rent control. So you can increase the rent, you know, realistically to, to whatever the market will, will justify. And that's what I'm an advocate at is the market will justify your rent control. Because if you have a building of, say, 10 suites and you've got one empty, then that's that's no good. <laughs> you, you, you'll end up, you'll lower your rent until you fill it because you might as well lower the rent than, than have it sitting empty is earning nothing empty. So if if there's a demand for it, then obviously rent will increase because you obviously want to find the better tenant uh, for your building and you usually find if they're paying a bit more of you, hopefully they're going to be in a more respectful position to, to look after your building. And then if if it gets goes the other way where there's too many uh, rentals and not enough tenants, then the, the price comes down. So the market kind of looks after itself in, in my eyes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just simple supply and demand. Yeah. Supply and de yeah, absolutely. Because if there's a lot of demand then a lot of people build buildings, yeah, there's a lot of demand for new buildings. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The rent control, that reminds me of when I lived in New York and I was looking to buy an apartment and certain certain places units looked it's, i was just like like not even buy an entire building you know it's like an individual unit for me and my wife or fiance at the time and there were some where it's like oh that's a great price i'm definitely gonna jump into that and you start reading the description on it and it's like oh this is rent controlled and also they have limitations on how much income you can earn but it's not even like rent control but also like price control it's like you can buy this unit in harlem for example for I forget the numbers, like say $100,000, but you have to make 60000 per year or less. And I'm like, well, if I make that little amount of money, like how can I afford to pay mortgage and other stuff? <laughs> There's just like this catch-22 to me. It didn't make any sense. It was kind of frustrating and annoying. So I don't, I don't know if you've ever considered New York, but I would just not. If you're looking for landlord-friendly places, I would say it's not a place like that. No. No, it's, a, it's like it's, it's its own world over there. It's crazy. Yeah, because they also have co-ops, which which I never really seen anywhere else. 
there might exist elsewhere in the US, but like instead of a, a condo, it's like a cooperative corporation and you're you're owning shares in the building and the, you're owning shares in the corporation which are allocated that unit. And it's interesting. So it's cheaper than a condo, but every month, very similar to a condo, you're paying not an HOA fee, but a maintenance fee to pay for the staff and elevator maintenance and all this other stuff. And whatever yeah. other fees they make up, because they like to make up fees, it seems like, <laughs> and charge for yeah. everything. Yeah. But, yeah. It's very sort of building on it can make some money. Yeah. Or the property management company that manages yeah. the property. Yeah. Like we still own an apartment in Queens and it's it's like a second mortgage because we pay our mortgage at it's like sixteen about sixteen hundred a month, and then we pay another thousand one hundred or I, f- I forget the number now one thousand two hundred I think per month now. When we first moved in in like twenty eighteen, it was like eight hundred seventy a month. So you can just see this the rapid increases for whatever yeah. bullshit reasons they come up with. <laughs> Everything but, goes up. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. well, the taxes go up. Oh. You know, we have a increase in wages or whatever the reason. I don't know. But yeah, and then oh, what's last thing on that I'll mention. It's very annoying. Is because it's a co-op, they're also able to charge a sublease fee. So technically, we're subleasing it to our tenants, and so we have to pay two hundred fifty dollars a month for the right to rent out our unit, which is like oh, that's like wow. that's, that's about that's about our cash burn every month. So yeah. we wouldn't have to lose money if they didn't create this ridiculous charge for. For renting out our own property, it's like frustrating. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, the house always wins. You're going to buy the building, not just one unit. Yes. Amen yeah. to that. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but it's definitely price different too. So I mean, we paid kind of a, a market value just being. This was like before my real estate journey started, and it was like, I think it was like four hundred thirty-nine thousand. And at that time, it was like, oh, well, compared to Manhattan prices of six hundred thousand and up. That's pretty good for a, a two-bedroom apartment next to the subway. So, anyway, that's that's the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's lots of ways to make money in real estate. You're going to make the appreciation, and then you got the principal pay down, and yeah, and then yeah, exactly. increases. So yeah, you got cash flow. You got yeah, three ways of making money on one unit. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, my point in bringing up the price one is, you'd also need, we'll definitely have a, a larger money partner. To come in, but I think the purchase price of the entire building is obviously going to be larger as well. It's like yeah. the price per units can be a little higher, but yeah. Okay. Um, so right now you you're looking at you said at properties in Detroit, are you looking at only 50 units and up, or what are you kind of yes. looking for? Yeah, I've, I've, the criteria I've asked for is 50 units and up with some value add. You know, if it needs renovation, that you know, that's good. And the main reason for that is because of some of the tax laws between the U.S. and Canada, then I have to make sure it makes sense. Because if it's in an LLC, then I have to do a separate audit myself for that. So it doesn't make sense to have an LLC just for a one fourplex. I'd still pay the same for an audit as what I would for a 50 unit. So it's just a matter of spreading the cost. And we're looking to scale. Our Beehive, as Matt calls it, your big audacious goal is to get to 2,500 units in five years. So it's it's a lot of work if we do it one house at a time. So we're looking for bigger deals to do that and, and bigger partners because we've, we've proven ourselves we can do it. And 
and we know we can do it. So we're going to keep pushing forward for that. And it's, it's a lot easier doing the bigger deals. That, that's true, what we've found out. Yeah. Okay. And why is that? From what aspect or perspective? In one yeah. aspect is you, you, you've only got one appraiser. I know it's a lot of units to walk through, but you just got one appraisal. You've got one lawyer. You've got one broker. You know, you've just got one of everything for that one deal. Whereas if you split that up to singles, then you've got maybe 50 lawyers, or not, not maybe 50 different lawyers, but you've got 50 different files with a lawyer or a mortgage broker or an appraiser and, and, and things like that. And although the it might be a 50 unit, the appraisal is not going to be 50 times more than what it is for a single unit as well. That's what we find. And same with, with your lawyer. It will be more more money, obviously, but it's not 50 times more. So you do cut some expenses and time. Time is the biggest killer. That's for sure. It, it's surprising how much time each deal takes. You're always answering emails and sending documents and yeah, answering phone calls. So, yeah. Yeah, you might as well spend the same amount of time on something that moves the needle a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Actually, I forgot to ask in Canada, do y'all, is it always, are the transactions, are they always supposed through attorneys or do y'all use title companies? No, it's all in one place. The lawyer takes care of everything. We have land titles where the title gets registered, but the lawyer takes care of all that. It's not a separate separate office that we have to deal with. So we have a great lawyer in time. She just does real estate. And she, under, she, she actually came from banking. So she understands the banking system and she understands the legal system. So she's excellent for real estate, really is, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Because, yeah, in the U.S., as you, you might know, I don't know about Michigan, but there's certain states that you you have to close real estate transactions through an attorney, but other states like Texas, it's really common to close it through a title company, and they might use yeah. an attorney, but you'll never talk to their attorney. Like, yeah. they might just use their attorney to draft certain documents and stuff, but I found it interesting. Like, I've closed deals in North Carolina, which is an attorney state, so I would correspond directly with the attorney. And they would correspond with the title company. I would never speak with their title company contact. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I would always prefer to use a lawyer or an attorney and, and they, they know their job. <laughs> I pay them to do their job. Yeah. That's what I would yeah. prefer. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. All right. Um, I think that I'm running out of questions here. However, you mentioned the money partner earlier. Um, I was curious, how did you meet that person to do that that twelve unit deal? It was networking. Network. Well, I think networking helped build the credibility, of the relationship. It was networking. We drive two and a half hours to go to Winnipeg, the the biggest city, to network. Uh, we networked with our coaching group, really, which was Team Made Real Estate, and. So we, we met a lot of connections, everybody trying to do the same thing. And we went constantly over, well, it was on every month. So we went for a couple of years or three years, probably before COVID caught it with us. Um, and then obviously you make connections with people on Facebook. So I then went to a mortgage broker 
and asked him about some private money to try and do this first deal. And obviously, we could only we couldn't get enough. We could only get a percentage, seventy percent. So we would have to go up the other thirty percent. And then he said, "Well, this 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 person who's got some money back on a refinance that's looking for a deal." And I said, "Yeah, I've seen that." I'll um, and he recommended him like you should connect. So we uh, we connected and had a phone call and and went from there. Really, yeah, it just obviously sharing each other's credibility and he would have checked us out to make sure we were legitimate. I had a website and, you know, and obviously knew us from these networking events that we showed up every single month. So I think if someone's going to drive two and a half hours from an event there and two and a half hours back at, at midnight, then you've shown some commitment that you're not just going to run away. So I think that helped. And he'd been in real estate for, I think, six years at that point, and he had staff. So, you know, that's, that, you know, that helped us credibility that, you know, he said he was. he was. So we uh, we went on the title together. So we shared the responsibility, you know, so I was, I was quite confident about that. Yeah, I didn't, we knew each other wasn't trying to scam each other. And, and it's interesting because... It comes full circle because of our successes in the multifamily in the area. The coaches that we signed up with originally at Team Made Real Estate have just asked me to become one of their coaches. So I'm actually going to be, you know, instead of a student who've gone so far, now now we're going to be coaching and helping others on the material that they have. So it's it's, it's looking back, you, you realize how far how far you've come. Excellent. Yeah, that's always great to go to the other side of the table. It really validates that you've accomplished something here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can give back. You can help others out knowing what the struggles are. Yeah, definitely. Cause, yeah, because it's not easy. I know the shows make it look easy, but it's, it's not easy, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so for the, the next properties you're looking to invest in, are you looking to raise more capital and connect with more investors? What's your goal yeah. there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're obviously looking for investors in uh, in the US. That's that's for sure. Obviously, with Mike Healy, we've got a good network there and people raising raising capital. But it's good to have connections with people as well, you know, and, and raise more capital. I mean, I just love everything there is about real estate. I love. Let's say you and I have connected. This, you know, we we you know we're talking. We have, you know, a common interest even. If you've done your land deals and now you're going to do hotels and doing the multifamily, we still have the same struggles or help that we need and, and that we can help each other. It's all about growing your network. And, yeah, and you never know. I mean, I passed a land deal on for you. I'm not sure if it worked or not, but that, that doesn't matter. You, you, you at least you can always help each other out, you know. The idea is at some point we would do some hotels. You know, I'd kind of like the idea. It's like the Monopoly board. Once you've got all the houses, you got to then get the hotels. So, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, yeah, we definitely like the idea of that. But for for us being in Canada, we know multifamily, so that's an easier transition for us into the US because NOI is NOI. You know, you, you, the numbers are the same, but obviously the buying process and the way it's done is different. That's why we got coaching with with Mike. But then after that, then we should offer be able to transition a little bit into into hotels. You know, it's too much of a jump for us to go hotels and 
and the American system, that's for sure. So little steps, we're always we're always learning. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So if people want to get in touch with you to, to invest in properties in the U.S. or Canada, how would they do that? Um, I think my contact needs, I don't know if you can share that or not, but probably the best way is the website, infinitepropertiesinc.com is probably the best way because we've just got a, it actually has just been uploaded today. It's a, it's a new website, probably still need some changes to it. But we, we, we changed providers, so we're in between for a while. We just said coming soon. So we actually got the updated one today. And that has my contact details, you know, the little links where you can Facebook, LinkedIn, email, phone is all, all on there. So, yeah. And Infinite Properties has a YouTube channel as well that we're, we're beginning to grow. So, yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, I think this was definitely interesting, brought a new perspective to the podcast. So I appreciate you taking the time again and thanks again for coming on. Yeah. No, thank you. I'm very grateful and honored to be on your show. Yeah. Enjoyable. Welcome to the Scalable Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we discuss the most scalable strategies, tools, and approaches to successfully invest in real estate. Learn how to make the most impact of your time, automate your real estate investing business, find off-market deals with minimum time invested, and leverage your capital to create as many income streams as possible so that you can achieve true financial independence. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Mason Clement. Hey guys, I appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch this episode. As you might've noticed, we don't run ads, but what I would like you to do is just subscribe to our YouTube channel. That would help us out tremendously. You don't even have to leave a review, but if you do feel like you would gain a lot of value from this episode, feel free to share it with your friends and comment, like, subscribe, all that. But subscribing to YouTube would be what helps us the most that's the only thing I ask. Thanks a lot. And if you do want to get in touch with me, feel free to email me at mason at scalablerei.com. Thanks a lot. Hi, everyone. Mason Clement here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to ask you one question. Are you sick of the wild swings in the stock market and ready to try something different? Did you know that investing in stocks actually put you at the very bottom of a company's capital structure? meaning that there's practically 0% chance that you're gonna get any of your money back in the event that the company files bankruptcy. You're basically, you're putting yourself in the riskiest position for a questionable return. Personally, I hate the unpredictability and just waking up and having half of my investment gone when I didn't do anything wrong. So what a lot of people don't know is that you can actually make higher returns on a consistent basis by investing in the opposite end of the capital structure, which is actually the safest place to be, which is on the debt side and a first lien position. And you can do that by investing in real estate and specifically investing with my company in notes that are backed by the land that we purchase. So if you're ready to diversify your income stream, go ahead and go over to scalablerei.com and click on invest in the top right corner. There you're going to find a form that you can fill out to determine if you're eligible to invest with my company, Celion Capital, and we'll be reaching out to you to schedule an introductory call and speak more from there. So thanks a lot, and let's jump into the episode.